Well, hello. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Donovan, along with my wife Heidi and an awesome eldership team. I get to give leadership to Common Ground Constantiaberg. I've actually had such a fun week. Um, this week, I've taken my youngest and I'm, I'm graduating her from her balance bike to her first ever pedal bike. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, my back has taken a bit of strain. And then I figured out, actually, like you can see in the picture, I took a, 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 a broomstick and just taped that thing to the bike. And it's been so much fun teaching her how to pedal and balance at the same time. It's, it's brilliant to see her already on day two starting to balance on her own as I'm able to let go and let her just start cruising. I'm, I'm excited for, uh, as a family, to be, be cruising around to Kai Forest soon. It's amazing. My kids are growing up, they're maturing. And actually, it's been a really helpful picture for me personally in preparing for this message because we've been looking at maturing. We've been speaking about becoming emotionally mature based on Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Disciples. Before I carry on with the message, let me ask you a question quickly that I'll come back to in a few moments. I want you to give it some thought. You know, for my little Becky, for her riding and starting to ride on her own, it's a sign that she's growing up. What I want to ask you, as a Christ follower, what for you is the ultimate sign of spiritual maturity? What for you is the ultimate sign of spiritual maturity? Why don't you give it some thought? I'll give you a couple of moments. Just think on it. I'll come back to it in just a few moments. What for you is the ultimate sign of maturity as a Christ follower. Well, in this series, we've been looking below the surface of our lives at our God-given emotions. We're recognizing that emotions help to reveal to us the, the, the state of our inner lives, the state of our hearts and minds. They can be a little bit like the lights on the dashboard of your car. You don't want to ignore them because when you ignore them, it means trouble's brewing or you're having less than optimal performance in your vehicle. You know, emotions help us to see, help us to, to, to notice that there's some fault lines or cracks in our inner lives, in our, in our thinking, in the view of ourselves, in our view of the world. And, and that impacts the way that uh, people experience us and, of course, how we experience the world. Now, truthfully, if we're growing in our maturity as Christ followers, at the same time, we have to be growing in our emotional maturity. It's impossible as Christ followers to be maturing into the image and likeness of Christ if we're not also maturing in our inner selves. We're not being matured if God isn't at work in all of our lives, bringing about transformation and formation. And really in this series over the last few weeks, we've just skimmed the surface of what is a lifelong journey for all of us. If you really want to take a deeper dive, if you really want to, want to ask God to massage all these truths deeper into your life, I really want to encourage you to get the book, start reading it, work through it, maybe even get together with a couple of friends. You won't be sorry. It really is a powerful tool that God can use in our lives. And in this final week of the series, we get to explore what, how our emotional health impacts and flows towards those around us. And actually, it, it flows to those around us in really powerful waves. And so we're speaking about the outflow or the impact of our emotional health in the world around us. It's such a great way to land this series. 
Let me go back to the question I asked you just a few moments ago. What for you is the ultimate sign of spiritual maturity? Well, the title for for this message gives you my answer. It's this, let love be the measure of maturity. Let love be the measure of maturity. I don't know, maybe your answer was a richer and deeper experience of, of God's presence, maybe learning more about God, maybe sinning less, maybe growing in a working knowledge of God's word and, and how that applies to our lives, maybe increased effectiveness in the use of spiritual gifts. I mean, all of things, these things are fantastic and helpful, but I kind of see them as more a means to the end, to a greater end, or they're, they're means of grace through which God leads us to a greater end, and that is to love like Jesus loved us. And that's where we're going in this message. We're going to see that love is the ultimate measure of our maturity. We're going to look at Jesus as our example, and more specifically, we're going to look at the incarnation of Jesus as our model for loving well. And then I want to get really practical. I want to look at three really practical ways that we can start to give expression to this love in our lives and in our togetherness. Then I'm just going to land in prayer. In fact, let me pray for us and then I'll, I'll carry on. Father God, thank you for this opportunity for us to be together. We thank you for what you've been doing in our, in our hearts, in our lives, how you've been forming us over the last few weeks. God, we pray that you would continue to have your way in us, God, that you would continue to form and shape us, not only for our good, God, but for your glory and for the benefit of those around us as we learn to love like you loved us. Have your way in us in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Someone once asked Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? Let's actually just look at the conversation. Matthew 22, verse 36, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The answer to the question, what is the greatest commandment is love God and love people. Love for people made in the image and likeness of God is inextricably linked to love for God himself. They're two sides of the same coin. Actually, learning to love well is the curriculum of our faith as Christ followers. As we're formed, as we're shaped with ever increasing measure into the image and the likeness of God, we have to be at the same time growing in our ability to love Others, like God, loved us. Actually, the church, meaning us, Christ followers, we're to be the most loving people on the face of the earth. There ought not to be any people in this world who love more extravagantly, genuinely, and beautifully than Christ followers. We are those learning to love like Jesus at, at home, in our schools, in varsities, at work, on the sports field, in our families, amongst our friends, even right here in the local church. The fruit of a healthy church is to grow in loving well, loving extravagantly, loving counterculturally. I want us to turn to John chapter 13. We're gonna, we're gonna look at this passage of scripture which shows us how Jesus expresses his love for us. I'm not going to work through the text verse by verse, which is normally what we prefer to do. We're looking at this text because it gives us a brilliant snapshot 
into, into how Jesus expresses his love and what we can learn about that. So read with me from verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Let me skip to verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then verse 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, we've heard Jesus share the command to love God and to love people. Right here, we see him living it out. I mean, it's just brilliant, refreshing, challenging. We don't only follow laws. We don't follow rules. We follow the person of Jesus Christ. And we get to shape our lives on his life. Speaking about love is one thing. Living it out is something completely Difference. I mean, just a few chapters later, John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking about the vine and the branches and he, and he says something similar in verse 12. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. I wanna say again, let love be the measure of your maturity. This is how we know we're remaining in God. This is how the world will know that we are his disciples, that we are the people of God. Have you ever thought about, you know, when you pray to God and you say, God, would you show, show, would you show so-and-so your love? Would you reveal yourself to him? I mean, do you know how God answers that prayer? Well, partly, you know, in his sovereignty. But I believe most of the time God answers a prayer like that through you and through me. God continues to show his love to the world, to people through the way we love each other and through the way we love those made in the image of likeness of God in the world around us, in our worlds. I hope you can see that this, this series and this talk about emotional maturity, it's not just so that we can be, you know, lacquer people that, you know, when people come to Grom and Ground, we're just filled with a, a bunch of really nice people. Of course, we don't want to be jerks, but, but we're not trying to just be ni nice people. We're seeking emotional maturity because we want to learn to love like Jesus loved us extravagantly, powerfully, transformatively. As we explore how our emotional health empowers this love, as I said, we're going to look at the incarnation of Jesus as our model. It can all sound, you know, quite impressive, but, but the word incarnation, it's a theological descriptor of two really basic truths. The first truth is that Jesus left heaven, took on the form and likeness of humanity and entered into our world. That's the first thought. The second one is that Jesus remained true to himself 
while he entered into our world. Let's just explore these two ideas quickly. Number one, God entered into our world. Right at the beginning of John chapter one, verse 14, you read the word became flesh and dwelt, made his dwelling among us. How cool is the way the message a paraphrase puts it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I mean, it's just so beautiful. We read earlier you know, about this, no greater love has anyone than to lay down his life for his friend. Well, that's not only about dying for someone. It can also be about living for someone, moving into their neighborhood. I mean, think about Jesus. He put aside every advantage that he had for love. He left behind his titles, his glory, his comfort, his convenience, his privilege, his might, and his majesty to love us, to express his love for us. You know, this truth of the incarnation, it's, it's an incredibly unique uh, facet of the Christian faith. And actually, it's something we take quite for granted. But I want us just to think about the power of it for a moment. God, the creator of all things, God, the creator of you and me, the creator of, of who we are, knew that for us to truly experience the love that he had for us, he knew he would have to enter into our world. I mean, God loved us long before the incarnation, but he knew for us to experience that love, for, for him to probably and appropriately express his love for us, he had to enter into our experience. And he did it. Isn't it just beautiful? Imagine a little girl, she comes to her parents, she's just had a nightmare and she's, she's a bit freaked out in the middle of the night. And you know, the parents being so theologically strong and, and, and uh, secure, and of course, more than a little tired, they tell the little girl, you know what, just go back to bed, God's with you, everything's gonna be just fine. To which the little girl replies, that's great, but I need someone with skin. I mean, I think we all feel like that from time to time. But did you know that Jesus still has skin on this earth? It's called the church, which is his body that fills everything everywhere. So firstly, Jesus enters into our world. Secondly, Jesus stays true to himself. This is the model of the incarnation that we're building this love on. Let's think back to our passage where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus, you know, he's so incarnated into our world. He's so part of our world that he can actually smell their feet. I mean, it's quite humorous if you think about it. They're, they're lying around the table, reclining. That's right, their feet would have been much closer to each other than they would nowadays if he were sitting around the dining room table. But he's sitting there and they're all so close together. He's so immersed in our world that he can sniff the journey on their feet. Now look at these remarkable words. Jesus knew, this is John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. I mean, right here, you've got someone, Jesus, who knows who he is. He knows what he's been sent to do. He knows his, his identity. He knows his purpose. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And as we know, he begins to wash his disciples' feet. I mean, washing your guests' feet was normative for the absolute lowest servant in a household to do. Now this meal, it's, it's a private dinner happening in a private home, so there's no servant, servant present. 
But just think about it. Jesus, uh, he, he doesn't so lose himself in the story of our world. He doesn't dive so deeply into our world that he forgets his mission. No, no, he knows who he is. He knows where he's come from. He knows where he's going. And that informs how he acts as he enters into our world. It's, it's incredibly powerful. And I think you're gonna see the power of that unfold as we unpack this message more and more. Time and time again, as you look at the gospels, as you read about the life of Jesus, you see that Jesus enters fully into our world, yet never forgets who he is, what he's doing. Okay, well, let's actually work this out really practically. Let's see the power of this. Remember, we're talking about letting love be the measure of our maturity. We're looking at the incarnation of Jesus as a model for, for this love. And actually, there's, there's so much that can be said about the incarnation as a model for love. I mean, I think about something like proximity. You know, Jesus put himself right where we are geographically. And actually, for us to truly love as Jesus loved us, as Christ followers, we need to actually go geographically and put ourselves in the place of the people that God's called us to love and to serve. If we're truly going to love and serve people, we need to be with them, be where they are. I've learned that from, from Colin Davids in, in such a brilliant way, one of my fellow elders. But for the sake of this message and this series that we're in around becoming emotionally healthy, I want to focus on, in on three areas of application, and they're this. Number one, incarnational listening. Number two, staying true to yourself. And three, embrace the messiness. We'll spend most of our time on the first one and then, and then kind of work through the other two a lot quicker. So firstly, incarnational listening. I mean, another way I could have put this is use how you listen to enter into people's worlds. Let me say it again. Use how you listen to enter into people's worlds. David Augsburger, he says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Learning to listen, to enter into someone's world is a big deal when it comes to loving them. It's about listening to understand what life is like for them, what current or past experiences, experiences are, are impacting them right now in this moment. It's how we start to build empathy and understanding for, for their story, for their perspective, for their emotions. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. Dutch writer and professor Henry Nowen, he says, listening is a form of spiritual hospitality by which you invite strangers to become friends. I mean, just beautiful. This is incarnational listening. Now, it might sound really easy, but I can assure you it isn't. You know, generally in our culture, listening is done for the purpose of defending yourself, for, you know, giving an opinion or advising someone on something. You know, I'm listening to you, but the whole time I'm making mental notes on where the cracks are so that when you're done, I can have my chance and I can kind of correct you or, or show you a better way. I'm really just listening to get to my turn. You know, we're waiting for someone to finish or, or, you know, we really struggle. We really can't keep listening to them because we feel, you know, maybe so un, underrepresented or misunderstood, you know, that we can't imagine that, that, that they could possibly have a, a point that we could humbly learn from or that we could even understand where they're coming from and, and maybe even grow from. <laughs> we're so afraid of, of sometimes losing any ground in a conversation that we, we can 
hardly bear to allow people to speak and for us to truly listen with her humility before our emotions start to boil and we just have to break in. You know, when we, when we listen like this, when we listen like our culture teaches us to listen, we're losing out on opportunities to express true and deep love for people, which is what we want to do as we want to love like Jesus loved us. I mean, the truth is that so much of the health and the growth and the fun of our togetherness, of societal change, of our teeming and, and simply loving is shaped by our ability to listen well meaningfully and genuinely. Well, the good news is God can help us. And we can certainly upskill ourselves in the art of listening. It's going to take some feedback. It's going to take loads of humility. It's going to take some intentionality. But I can assure you it's worth every ounce of effort. I wonder if I had to ask you a question. When was the last time you asked a friend or someone close to you how what your listening skill is like. Are you a good listener? Maybe, have you, when was the last time you actually sat back and thought to yourself, you know, what can I learn about the way people listen to me that, that can really empower me to listen better? You know, when was the last time you reflected on your own listening skill or aptitude? I mean, it sounds small, but this stuff really matters if we're gonna enter into people's world. I remember one time I, I got to meet with, I guess we could call him a high profile leader in the city of Cape Town. I was feeling a bit spared, to be honest, a little embarrassed. I kind of was wondering how we ended up setting up this meeting. And, you know, I didn't know what I was going to say to them that could possibly add any value to their life. And that we sat down and I was blown away. We sat together for two hours. Never once was this pastor distracted. Never once did he seem bored. Never once did he look at his phone. Never once did he, did he look around or look for someone he recognized or greet someone. He just focused in on me. It was so noticeable to me because there was another guy that was with him, more of an admin guy. And, and this poor guy, he was checking his messages on his phone quite regularly. He was looking around. He looked a bit agitated every now and then. He looked at his watch, you know, glancing here and there. By the way, for those of you who have smartwatches, you know, looking at your messages on your smartwatch is equally as bad as looking at your messages on a phone. So, so if you think you're fooling anyone, you're not. But I remember leaving that time with that pastor feeling so loved. I felt so important. I felt treasured. I felt, I felt valued and I left warm. Honestly, I don't think I added anything to that guy's life. I'm sure all my fears were realized, but you know what? I didn't even care or give it a thought. I felt loved. I felt valued and I felt listened to. Guys, we can do this for each other. Now, let me get super practical here for a moment. Now, for some of you, this is going to sound a little bit of self-helpy, but, but I want to think of this as, as coaching more than anything else. It's not just about tips and techniques and tricks for us to, you know, make sure people feel nice or, you know, we can just tag on to our listening. No, no. Incarnational listening means that you really believe someone has intrinsic value, that what they think, that what they feel is important that they have experiences and views that you need to hear about. It's considering others better than yourself as God encourages us to in Philippians 2. So Peter Scazzara, he refers to three questions to be aware of when you enter into a conversation. He says, one, am I fully present or am I distracted? He says, am I loving or judging? 
Am I open or closed to being changed? You know, to listen like this, to listen well, requires strong character and, and, and a lot of emotional maturity. That's why this week is, is the final week of the series on becoming emotionally mature. We need to allow God to, to mature our emotions. We need to process things. We need to work through things. We need to ask God to form us because, because if we're not emotionally mature, if we're not emotionally growing, we're really going to struggle. In fact, it's nearly impossible for us to listen well and therefore to, to truly express love to people in a way that impacts them so massively. So let's put some more flesh on this incarnational listening, the idea of listening to enter into someone's world. You know, when you connect with someone, you could ask them a question like, hey, what's the biggest thing that's impacting you right now and, and how do you feel about it? Then what you do is you give someone your full attention. I mean, you're here, you're in the moment, you're sitting at the table. Just put everything else away and make the most of being present in this moment. Don't think about what you're doing next. Don't think about how you're going to respond to them. Don't think about formulating uh, what comes next. Just be present. Listen. Look at their nonverbal communication. Pick up on facial expressions, posture, tone, eye contact, movement. Start stepping into their shoes, putting yourself in their circumstances, trying to identify with them. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Try not to judge or interpret what's being said. When someone is done, you could ask something along the lines of, hey, is, is there anything else on your mind or is there something you haven't said that you wish you had said? You could say to them, hey, out of everything that you shared to me, what would you say is the most important thing and the one thing that you really want me to walk away with and remember? These are our ways we can truly love people, enter into their world through the way we listen. And of course, this does apply to our COVID world, to our online Zooming world, you know. You know, are you checking messages while people are chatting to you on Zoom? Are you busy working on your to-do list? You know, sometimes we put productivity above presence and it's so easy online. You know, you've got to be so much more aware of your body language, your facial expressions, your, where your eyes are looking. I mean, people can see when your eyes are, are reading text instead of simply listening to them. And of course, this stuff isn't um, as difficult if we're talking about something neutral, but it becomes exponentially harder if someone is speaking about you or disagreeing with you or is concerned with something maybe that you did. I mean, think about what communicates interest or disinterest to someone and just learn and get better at that. I think sometimes we've got to think about how we set our meeting time. Somehow, you know, every meeting is an hour or 45 minutes from, you know, hour to hour. And, you know, I know we have to steward our time well. I know we have to, you know, watch our limited capacities. But I think we need to get out of the habit of just simply making every meeting an hour. Some meetings can be 30 minutes. Some meetings are going to take more time than an hour. I mean, at the end of the day, what is our goal? Efficiency or loving people? Incarnational listening or listening to enter into someone's world to express love to them is something we can all do. We can all grow at. We can all get better at. We can all trust God to mature our emotions to the point where we can do this excellently. Okay, let me move on. I said I'll be a lot quicker on these next two. The second practical application after incarnational listening is stay true to yourself. The danger for us when we give ourselves to incarnational listening is that we simply become chameleons, adapting and changing to whatever people are saying to us. 
Remember, our model is Jesus and his incarnation. He entered into our world, but he never lost sight of who he was and what he was doing. In the same way, we have to stay true to ourselves. Think of a scripture like Romans 12. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. As we're listening to people, as we're entering into their lives, we have to keep in mind the mercies of God. We have to continually offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices, just like Jesus did. We stay true to ourselves as we enter into people's lives. You know, what happens to you when, what happens when you become really good at listening to people, to entering into their world, but, but really bad at staying, staying true to yourself? Well, you become very warm, but weak. Warm, but weak. And I think this is an area where I probably needed to grow quite a lot. Now, I think I've grown up, but there's probably still space to grow some more. I sometimes feel so capable of hearing where people are at and kind of entering into their story to the extent that, that I think sometimes I lose track of myself in those moments. I remember the one time someone came to me and wanted to speak to me about one of their friends who is really struggling with their sexuality. And I, I felt like I listened really well. So when it came to warmth, I was way up there, nailed it. We were interacted. We had a great conversation. I really tried to understand. I entered in. I, I made sure to, to let the person know that, that, that someone's ex- accepted no matter their sexuality, um, that God loves all people. At the end of the conversation, they, they said to me, wow, I wish I was at your church where people could just, you know, live the way they wanted to do and no one interfered or cared about anyone else. Surely that's the way God wants us to live anyway. <coughs> Oops. <laughs> Warm? Absolutely. Clear? Not so much. But on the other hand, what's, what happens to us when we become, you know, really good at staying true to ourselves, but, but really not good at entering into people's worlds? Well, we are clear, but cold. Everyone knows what you stand for, but no one wants to talk to you or no one's interested in what you have to say. No, no, the goal for us as Christ followers is to be warm and clear. This is what truly impacts people. This is what it looks, looks like to practically love well. Now, in the context of the local church for Christ followers, when I think about being warm and clear, I can't help but think of Ephesians 4, verse 15. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. I mean, this is mutual discipleship. This is loving and maturing. We have to be doing this for each other. It's about loving expressing love, entering into people's worlds while also staying true to ourselves and to our Savior and King. It's about being warm and clear. If we're not growing in our ability to do this, I'm just not sure how we're going to become the kind of people and communities that God is calling us to be. Truthfully, this can mean disappointing people or or not meeting their expectation. It can get really, really messy. And that's actually our final application for the message is embrace the messiness of loving well. I reckon you'll know if you're, if you're getting this right or more wrong than right, if your life is simply neat. 
You know, if, if everyone in your life kind of just feels warm around you and, you know, there's no real conflict or in your community, there's just total harmony all the time, you can safely assume that you're all warmth. You know, when we speak the truth in love, when we're warm and clear, it definitely gets a little messy but I think we should embrace it. I mean, let's not be silly. We're not looking to make trouble for trouble's sake. Not all messy is good messy. But if you think about Jesus in the Gospels, he often left people feeling loved and disappointed or, or troubled or deeply challenged, reflective or even thoughtful. Maybe I can paint a few examples for us of what this can look like in our togetherness. You know, picture a life group leader. They reach out to someone in their group who is just a little bit detached, you know, doesn't seem to be engaged or responsive to, to messages on the group or, or connection times. And as they sit down and the conversation unfolds, the life group leader really enters into that person's group and, and learns some things that really helps them understand where this person's coming from and, and why they're experiencing them the way they are. And it, it's a real breakthrough and it's a really warm moment. Then the life group leader reminds the person about the importance of not giving up meeting together as Hebrews 10 reminds us and that we should prioritize our togetherness and think about the possible impact of, of our presence on the well-being of the rest of the group. Well, all of a sudden, the person leaves upset. You know, they're challenged. They maybe felt misunderstood. They're, but I say, fantastic conversation. I think that's warm and that's clear. What about this one? If you go to someone to apologize for something you did or said, they listen so well, that, you know, you feel like they really understand where you're coming from. You, you know, you're feeling loved, you're feeling accepted, they even forgive you. And then they suggest how you guys could maybe uh, process something like this next time those set of circumstances happen. Maybe they suggest uh, something that you could do differently next time that happens, all of a sudden you, you feel a little bit put out, you feel a little misunderstood, even deflated. Hey, I say, fantastic conversation. There's warmth, but there's clarity around who we are and what we're doing. Now I've noticed something about our culture that, that sometimes we value confession or honesty over discipleship and truth. Like owning up to something is the highest virtue we have. It certainly is the right step in the right direction but it's not the goal. Here's one last example that really gets to me still. I remember someone coming to me at church or from church and asked me for a coffee and we hang out. And, uh, you know, they, they really butted me up, I guess, told me that, you know, they're so grateful that, you know, I'm in their life and they've got a fantastic relationship with me and that we can hang out. And they go on to tell me about a sexual relationship that they've just entered into recently. And I, I feel like I'm listening well and I'm paying attention. I'm, you know, I'm feeling a lot of empathy for the guy. He's, he's getting on in life and longing for love. And so meeting this person really meant so much to him. And he tells me of their intention to get married, which kind of makes him feel like everything's okay. They're going to move in together. And I'm listening well, and he, he's going on. And then I start to ask some questions about, you know, what the scriptures have to say about our sexuality and, and our conduct around how we treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. All of a sudden, things turn very, very sour. He quickly feels judged, rejected. He mis, you know, he says, I've misplaced my confidence in you. I thought you would understand. They, they just get up and leave. They leave the church. Really so difficult. You know, as I reflect on that, I think, hey, maybe I could have done some things differently. But all in all, fantastic conversation. Warm and clear. When we learn to listen well, 
And when we're committed to staying true to ourselves, it's going to get messy. But I want to say to us, let's embrace the messiness. If you think loving is just giving, 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 or warm, 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 you know, we're not modeling our love on the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus modeled entering into people's lives, but staying true to ourselves. Okay, let me land this message. I've been speaking about let love be the measure of maturity. Now, Jesus refused to accept the possibility that someone would be growing in love for God while not at the same time growing in love for people. And I think, I think we should refuse to accept that as well. We need to be growing in our love for God and growing in how we express our love for each other. And actually, this is in reach for all of us. Incarnational listening, staying true to ourselves, embracing the messiness. We can all do this as God matures us. Love cures. It cures those who give it. It cures those who receive it. You know, the truth is all we have to offer the world, the people around us, is who we are. And the best thing to offer your spouse, your sibling, your friend, your neighbor, your city is yourself in a healthy, God-centered, Christ-saturated way. It's we trusting God to mature us inside and out. Let's become this counter-cultural community that knows how to love and express love extravagantly, just as Christ loved us. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power at work in our lives, for the transformative power of, of your word, for the transformative power of your incarnational love, that God, you entered into our world, never losing sight of who you are and what you're doing. And so God, we can experience forgiveness of sins, experience salvation, experience life to the full relationship with you. God, we wanna be those who love like you loved. Help us, Father, coach us, build us together as a community who know how to love each other and to love beyond ourselves into the city for your glory and our good, God. Amen. Thanks, guys.